welcome to the Expression series of podcasts as part of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival with me, Nicole Bell. This series examines different forms of artistic expression and the contribution they make to the representation and discussion of mental health. Today we'll be examining film more broadly and I'm joined by Eliza Jorn, a film journalist from The Culture Trip. We'll be discussing three films that formed part of the festival this year. So that's the Australian film Mental, the Latvian animation Rocks in My Pockets and the stop-motion short which featured at Dundee's Heritage Scene at Dunnet event, I Am Tom Moody. Welcome Eliza. Hi, thanks. Firstly, I'd like to ask you whether you think film in general is a good medium for exploring the issues surrounding mental health or not, and why. Um, well, I think before good or bad, it's important to make the distinction that films are immensely powerful uh, as a medium. Uh, they're one of the most popular mediums available now. I mean, they've sort of superseded the novel and, you know, I guess next to television uh, at this point, it's disseminated the most quickly. Uh, so I think it can be good. It has the potential to be good. Uh, but a writer or a director uh, or whoever is dealing with the film uh, has to be really careful with the way that they present it. You know, not only what they choose to include, but I think more importantly, what they choose to exclude. Uh, because if you decide for the sake of a plot or a story that you're going to take XYZ out in order for it to keep moving as a film, which you have to do, um, then you could be missing something out that would be crucial to someone who is struggling with mental health and then watching the film. And in that case, you would call that sanitization. You know, this is when you're missing the entire point, uh, when in reality you just took it out and what you thought it was would just detract from the plot. So you have to be... I think really careful. In the 21st century, I think we've made some significant strides, like the selection of films that we just watched. I think all of them sort of have something to offer in their own right. Um, but on the other hand, mental health is still unfortunately a taboo, and even something as popular as film hasn't really been able to completely overturn that, I don't think. I think there have been efforts, some valiant, some shaky at best, but there, there's there's been attempts, but it's still not completely there. I, I think with time, that's the kind of thing that yeah. it will develop. It's still very much a work in progress. Film as an art, in the grand scheme of things, is quite a new one. And when you think about mm-hmm. how long it's been around. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge discussion, actually. I mean, just film as a medium is still young, and it has a lot of potential. It really does, I think. If you give it a chance and you don't chain it to a certain structure or you know, sort of make it so the audience has a certain response to it and instead just present something that's new, then you could really start doing some interesting things with film. But unfortunately, it has been sort of, you know, this sort of monotonous turnout from Hollywood and all these movies that are just, you know, they're not really saying anything original. It's interesting that you pick up on the Hollywood point, actually, because... um, on our previous episode of Expressions, I was talking to Dr. Maggie Ellis about the representation of dementia in the film Still Alice. And she was saying that um, actually other films that deal with dementia, aside from Still Alice, um, they're over Hollywoodized mm-hmm. almost. And you sort of lose the, the genuine sort of expression and it becomes over-romanticised or over-dramatised. Mm-hmm. Do you think... 
that's something that film still has to deal with or do you think that's something that because of the way Hollywood is it's just going to perpetuate because that's come to be what people expect they expect this glossy um sort of over polished over dramatized end product mm-hmm. well I mean that has been a trend for sure I mean what pops into my head right now is A Beautiful Mind with uh, Russell Crowe. That was, you know, a very overly romanticized image of mental health issues and the family members that sort of rallied behind um, Russell Crowe in the film were, you know, they had no issues of their own, no, no mental health struggles from dealing with somebody who also has serious mental health issues. Um, you know, they, they did make it a sort of overly romanticized characterization, but that being said... Hollywood is not the only source of film, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you know, I mean, Hollywood is a main source of film, but then there's a lot of hope for, I think, festival circuits and independent cinema, because at any point, those can sort of skyrocket to the surface. It just takes word of mouth, just one critic at one festival, and all of a sudden, you see all those laurel leaves around the cover of a movie, mm-hmm. you know? It, it doesn't it doesn't take much, you know, so this effort should always be made, I think. But what I think is most important, honestly, is to never underestimate film. I think people do underestimate film because it's sort of a low art, you know, it's very popular, it's sort of vulgar, you know, it's a little bit obsessed with sex and violence. Um, so people don't really consider it when in reality it's disseminated so quickly and it, it's people's source of information even sometimes before news, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it can invade the consciousness, I think, and it's a window into our contemporary culture, and I think a lot of the time it's overlooked, but in reality, when you go back and look at films, you can see a whole period, a whole culture, if you look at it closely. It's interesting what you say about sex and violence, because I think something I, I would think to look at there is, do we hear more about sex and violence in films because people are more comfortable about talking about sex and violence in films rather than some issues that we maybe talk about less, like mental health? Do you think that um, the concept of film or people's understanding of film kind of gets marred or gets kind of silenced by the fact that people are more willing to engage with certain topics that films talk about than others? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, sex and violence is... A massive trend in basic Hollywood movies I mean and people do become almost desensitized to it but at that being said at the same time that might be almost a good thing it might work in the favor of bringing mental health issues to the fore in film because they're new they're different I think the key to a film being popular you know generic conventions those don't really change what you're used to seeing in a romantic comedy or what you're used to seeing in a horror movie there are slight variations it's just sort of infused with novelty that's it. So it's still in a generic structure. Say you're going to see a drama about a person who's suffering with schizophrenia. It still falls under a drama. It's not its own category, mm. you know. But I think it would draw attention to itself because it's still such a taboo. People are so afraid to talk about it that, you know, it's a direct reflection of society. Since society is so afraid to talk about it, so few films are being made about it. Yeah. And hopefully with time, as, as more people begin to be willing to approach these subjects, which we so desperately need, um, film will be more willing to explore it in a more um, kind of realistic and genuine way um, and showing not these kind of the co-characters of the people that are, are struggling or contending with these issues are so often kind of 
turned into heroes or you know they're saint-like and that's not how the experience is on the ground when you're trying to support somebody um it's not like that it's difficult for you Mm -hmm. and um I think that is something that's much missed as well. So hopefully with time, we kind of see that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think representation is so, so important. And people, I don't think, quite grasp just how important it is for any sort of minority group, anybody who's struggling with an issue that society is generally afraid to talk about. If there's movies being made about it, even if they're not that good, which I am more about visibility at any cost, um, you know, the fact that there needs to be representations on the screen in order it, it's a it's a form of self-affirmation you know not only for people who are struggling with mental health but people who know people who are struggling with mental health mm. you know just putting it on screen turns it into something real and it turns it into a shared struggle it's like a legitimizing force almost yeah. in some ways when you see things that are poorly represented become put on that platform mm-hmm. um which is why i guess it's so valuable but also um, it's almost vulnerable as an art because of the way it contends with these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to bring back to our, our questions, um, we've talked a little bit, or you talked a little bit about different genres. So I wanted to bring that into a question. Um, what genres do you think provide the best platform for the representation of mental health? Well, genres are tricky because honestly they're really sort of an arbitrary labeling on movies uh genres were sort of almost invented by hollywood itself and people go into movies having certain expectations based on genres it just makes it easier to create a target audience it's a pigeonhole yeah exactly yeah so i mean this is why more often than not we have genres in order to create novelty which is which is the recipe for a successful movie in hollywood I mean, most people know it as a hook, but I think it's more like just being able to take one genre and then infusing it with another. It's about creating hybrid genres mm. because the formation of a whole new genre comes comes along very, very rarely in history. You know, we had sort of these early established Hollywood genres and then a few have been debated as new genres. Um, but actually, going back to your question... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think for me, I think what works best for representing mental health is actually a comedy, but a tragic comedy. Because I think if you're representing mental health in any sort of genuine way, there's always going to be an element of the tragic in it when it comes to generating pathos on screen. If people are going to have a level of sympathy for them, there's always going to be a sort of undercurrent of the tragic. But I think the best way to do it is to have a combination of both. So the tragic and the comic, which is why the film we watch, Mental, works so well for me mm. personally. I think it has that combination has poignancy because it's both relatable and educational. It's serious, but it's also lighthearted, uh, which is kind of the, the way that I think you should go about dealing with mental health. But we talked life. about this in episode one. So in episode one of Expressions, I was talking to two comedians and they were saying that the kind of best way to go through these issues is to approach them being able to look at the the lighter side and to not take it too seriously. Obviously, as carefully as possible you could do that, but you know it is is important to to be able to be lighthearted sometimes about issues that are serious, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what's interesting is actually 
mental illness didn't really start being incorporated as as a serious issue till like the 60s 70s i mean you would think when you think of mental health i mean at least for me you think of it as a serious issue so you're like okay serious issue a drama Mm. but they didn't really find their place in drama often they were in horror which is terrible yeah you know they were villainized this sort of you know we even have that issue with halloween costumes today where you have the you know insane asylum patient halloween costume I mean, it's terrible you know, it's, it really is it's it's awful and it has been affirmed previously by film which is what i'm saying it's and that image in people's head was so strong and started in the horror genre mm. that it became merchandise it became a product to sell you know yeah. this is their their power you know when it's used for something like that then it can really go wrong. So it's it's volatile. It's like working with chemicals, I think, film. It's just you have to do it in exactly the right way. It's very difficult to get the balance right. It doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. Exactly. That's the issue. Yeah. You're releasing it into the wide world and people take what they will out of it. And mm-hmm. sometimes it can be, in fact, in the past, more often than not, it was damaging rather mm-hmm. than good. A lot of times when they're dealing with things that are not perfectly represented now but better Mm -hmm. in the past we've seen it with lgbt identities we see it with mental health we see it with with other minority groups and black and ethnic minorities Mm -hmm. in the past in film the treatment is horrendous and it's the same pattern of treatment that we see for so many minority groups and i think it's it kind of hammers home the message that if you want to fight for your representation as a minority group member, you should fight for all minority groups members' mm-hmm. representation in art. Yeah. And especially in film, because I think you see the genesis of how this has happened um, in a good way and in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is a sort of homogeny developing, you know, with minority groups where you realise that the struggle for minority groups in film kind of becomes just one dichotomy you have the minority group struggling for representation on screen they make you know the group of people that are behind it are also generally minority groups leftist you know and you have that build up and then you have the the mainstream standard white male protagonist film which is the most common film in hollywood easily still even so today sad. you know yeah you know, even today more and more people are going at it some people are going at it for all the wrong reasons that you know they're like oh well it's it's a trend it's oscar bait it's you know gonna help us get recognition you know but no one actually cares about the issues that happens a lot as well you know so you you have to be you know i don't know careful with what you choose to watch you know research a film of it before you go see it you know see who is behind it and see what kind of message they're trying to put out there. I think that's, yeah, definitely really important. People's personal experiences or directors' personal experiences for sure inform the films that they make. Mm-hmm. When um, I was researching Still Alice, the director, I believe, and the the other co-director, they were partners, and one of them um, was dealing with ALS at that time and sadly passed away just last year. But what you saw there was their experience as someone who's dealing with a progressive illness and as the carer of somebody with a progressive illness really kind of informed in Still Alice how they presented the kind of raw emotional experience of a diagnosis and of a carer role. So it's exactly kind of what you're saying there. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I I think movies that deal with mental health more often than not tend to be very personal stories to writers or directors and it's usually in 
collaboration with each other that they come up with these films. Um, you know, because people are afraid of it. They're afraid if they try and represent it that they're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Which is, I think, you know, a fair fear, but it, it shouldn't keep people from putting more, you know, films out there. You mm. know, I think the more the better, because then we're going to be able to tell the difference between what worked and what didn't work, and from then on, it's going to work. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a work in progress. Just like any sort of film, it's going to have to have, you know, a progression. It's not going to be perfect. You yeah. know, it'll probably never be perfect. You know, that being said, because films... When you've only got an hour and a half to explore something, it can't be perfect. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's like a collaborative process film. There's so many people involved, you know. A writer will have an idea for a film, and then it will go to a director, and all of a sudden it will change. And then it will go to the cinematographer, and then people dealing with lighting, dealing with costume. There's so many people involved that one person's vision can't possibly shine through and be the only thing. So this becomes a process that everybody has to get behind, you know, and they have to all be behind putting the right message out there, which is why it's so difficult in films, I think, is because of how many people are sort of warring against each other, you know, and that, and if you add the fact that it needs to be entertaining for the standard Hollywood film, it's about turning over a profit, that's a whole nother obstacle. The minute you add profit into anything, it's an obstacle. (laughs) Capitalist <laughs> yeah. propaganda. Um, so, to go back to films that were on the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Festival program, um, so we we together we watched um, we watched Rocks in My Pockets. Um, we watched the stop motion short that was featured at Dundee's Heard It Seen It Done It event. I am Tom Moody, and we watched the full length feature film, um, the Australian feature film Mental, that features um, Tony Collette as the lead in that. To, to come back to those, which one do you think was the most effective in its discussion of mental health and why? I guess we need to talk about the form factors of these films as well, so <laughs> I'll let you do that rather than myself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's hard because even pinpointing what makes a film good and not is a really subjective thing. Um, so what I think they all worked in their own way. They all had things to offer. They're, they're vastly different as films, obviously, so it's sort of an apples and oranges conversation. But, I mean, I think Rocks in My Pockets, that was the one where we had the Latvian director sort of narrating her own life. It's extremely personal, very intimate, very unsanitized, gritty, gets really in there with grotesque imagery, a uh, stream of consciousness from her, mm. you know, so it's very raw, and uh, I don't know, it, it would be difficult for a lot of people, I think, to palette it. Uh, it's it's a difficult film, and I think it's meant to be. It's meant to be very challenging, very in-your-face. Do and, you think it yeah. was an animation? Because if it had been another form of film, yeah. it would have been almost too hard for people to to palette it Mm -hmm. do you think that maybe comes into it in terms of its form yeah i mean animation you can get away with so much with animation (laughs) i I mean it is incredible there are less rules i think yeah there are i mean you think about just i mean this is a little bit of a tangent but if you think about just cartoons in general the Mm -hmm. amount of violence in cartoons is crazy and you know cartoons were originally geared towards children now animation has grown and it's not just for children anymore but yeah, I think animation, you have a bit more of a license, and you have a bit more of an artistic license in the in the strictest sense of the word. We have people really painting images, you know, so it's, it's a very different way of looking at films. And it's almost, I think because the subject matter is so hard, I don't want to say that you're emotionally detached from it, because you're not. 
I just think it makes it easier to think about it from a more distance point of view, because it's something about seeing your actual form on screen that you might be able to relate to a bit more. Mm. This felt more like a storytelling of, of someone's, you know, own past. That's that's what it was meant to be, sort mm. of this quilt of their the saga of their family. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that, that definitely had something to offer, a very unapologetic sort yeah. of view. Um, as far as I Am Tom Moody, shorts are great because they're like just this one segment of time and they only have that amount of time in which to get their point across. Mm. Right? They have even less time than, obviously, an average film. Yeah. So it's a punch. It's one thing. They'll have a lead up and then in the last few seconds they'll have the message and done. So generally, you'll remember what happened, you know. And I found it interesting, actually, and I Am Tom Moody was... We, we had watched it together and you knew what it was for originally but you didn't tell me so we just I just watched it with no context mm. and um I immediately thought it was about anxiety um just a person struggling with you know anxiety that formed sometime in their childhood and then you said that it was actually shown during a festival for people with schizophrenia or um it was it was screened at the heard it seen it done it event which was um kind of created by the Hearing Voices Network, who mm-hmm. are a group in, in Dundee. Now, because I knew that it was featured at an event organised by um, this group of people, I kind of had that idea in my head. So when you see the kind of, the abstract voice and you kind of take place, and um, I had that in my mind that it was going to be talking about the experience of, of hearing voices. Mm-hmm. Um, However, when I went back and did my research on the film after, because I'd never researched a film before, I see it, I prefer to do that after, you were correct. So the director um, was exploring performance anxiety, right? Because he's a singer mm-hmm. um, in the in the short. So you were right, but it's so interesting to see film is such a subjective art because you go in with your kind of mindset and your preconceived ideas of the frame it falls in and you totally kind of put that on to the film that you see and we got totally different readings from that yeah absolutely i mean i mean i think when it comes to marketing and things like that those are called film paratexts and they do inform a film immensely mm. how a film is marketed what the trailer looks like what they're designating it for box office income merchandise things like that they really do form your concept of a film if you think about a saga like harry potter mm-hmm. harry potter is sort of lauded because I mean it has its own amusement park that's how big it was <laughs> you know so I mean it's it just depends on how you go into it and then you go into festival movies and I mean you're expecting to see some things that are really great and sort of wade through others so you know you're sort of you go in with less expectation mm. so I think that's a big part of films is what you're expecting from them that that comes from genre as well mm. So if you're expecting a romantic comedy to end happily, because most romantic comedies do end happily, and it doesn't, it's sort of jarring, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, those definitely are a big part of you know, film-going experience, just generally. So we need to talk about mental as mm-hmm. well, a oh, little bit, right. too. Yes, we've spoken question. about <laughs> Rocks in My Pockets, and we've spoken about I Am Tom Moody a mm-hmm. little bit. So what about mental? 
Yeah, mental was actually the one that worked best for me. You I, think? If I'm asking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mental worked best for me. Um, do you want to give a little, um, just a kind of brief explanation of what happens in the film? It's so much happens yeah. in the film. Uh, if you it's could a wild summarize it in the um, film. <laughs> um, basically, it was from the director of Muriel's Wedding, which was uh, done by an Australian director. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it's about uh, a family of all girls and a mother who... I think has schizophrenia. I don't remember exactly it's what her died. I think it's unspecified, really. I th- like mania, but it's uh, something like uh, yeah. They never give her a diagnosis. No, anyway, which um, I think is interesting because I think you're supposed to read into it yeah, as the viewer. Exactly. What is it that she has? Is yeah. it anything? You yeah. Know, exactly. You, you know. go in with your own kind of frame of reference. Yeah. So she has some kind of mental illness you're not completely sure and yes they do make a point of kind of never really telling you um and then she has um her daughters who all have their own sort of psychoses going on um and it's sort of about their struggle in trying to accept themselves and then the character of tony collette i think her name was shaz in the film (laughs) um she's sort of this very edgy cool type character i mean i'm loath to say the word like cool but that's what she is (laughs) is, like yeah yeah, um so i mean she plays a character that tony collette kind of often gravitates towards which is so great yeah yeah she's she's, she's, so she is excellent at it i mean it i think it's a combination of she's attracted to the roles and she sort of is typecast in the roles because she's very good at them you know uh but yeah she plays um she sort of comes in as a nanny when the mother goes to the psychiatric institution who's sent there by their sort of absentee, you know, unfaithful father. Um, she comes in, he hires her off the street as a nanny. Uh, and she sort of, I mean, she goes on like an, a, an adventure with these kids and sort of talks them through how to deal with their own mental health issues. Uh, and then you realize you get a lot more of her backstory. I don't want to, like, spoil no, the no, ending. No, no, um, It's a you film see, you yeah. must see. Yeah, yes. You must see. Yeah, it's a I great think film. I think you have to see it because it is quite different. Now, it was... For, for the trailer and the poster and everything, it looked very polished. I mean, it had star power behind it. Yeah. You know, Tony Collette is very famous. And yeah. I recognize a lot of the Australian cast members. So at least in Australia... These are bigger names who yeah. are who are talking, um, but it's it's so strange. I mean, it's great. It's, it was really delightful for me because you know something that's marketed as a Hollywood movie, it really is a curveball as far as form. It's so different. It's jumpy. It really is sort. Of, it's crazy. I mean, for lack for lack of a better term, it, it's it's like a completely this sort of energetic, cartwheeling exuberance. It's frenetic, yeah. almost. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it kind of does that on purpose. You know, it's putting you in this situation where you're not always oriented in space, and you're definitely not... You don't know where you are sometimes on the... Um, you know, it's not a linear plot either. Sometimes it kind of jumps, and or you're not sure if it's a jump, or... Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, exactly. It, it's trying to put you in the situation where you don't have clarity of mind mm-hmm. when you're watching the film. Exactly, which is why I think it, it didn't meet with very good critical acclaim, which is a shame. Mm. Because that's what it's supposed to do. Some people lauded it, and yeah. other people hated it. it. Yeah, which is, you know, it's great when you have a film with that much... You when know, something's very perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least it's provocative. People are talking about it. 
But, and um, that's what yeah. you want from a film that deals with mental health. You want people to be talking about it because it brings these issues to the fore. It gives a, a valuable platform that engages people in talking about it because they've got the film as a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. I mean, on top of that, it was hilarious. You know, it was really funny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, which made it, you know, so relatable, you know? Uh, we're talking about very serious issues, and I mean, the, the entire family has serious mental health issues, and but at the same time, Tony Collette brings such an energy to it that, you know, you just feel like you're backing a team of some kind, and all of a sudden they're like, she gives them, she turns sort of society on its ear a little bit, I think. And unfortunately, it's time to turn the microphone off because we've come to the end of our session today. So, Eliza Jordan, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Unfortunately, the close of this Expressions episode marks the end of the short podcast series as a whole. I'd like to take this opportunity to extend a huge thanks again to those guests who've joined me across the series and to the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival for allowing me to run it. I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. It's been a real pleasure to create this series and I hope you've enjoyed listening. So, that's it. Thank you and goodbye for the final time in this series.